Welcome to the Agree to Disagree show, a show that discusses news, politics, and pop culture with your host, Luigi C. I want to see how many people I can agree to disagree with. We will try to solve life's great mysteries. Why is the sky blue? Why do we lean left or right? Why are we all nuts? Let's start the show. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to episode 61 of the Agree to Disagree show, where we discuss current events, politics, pop culture, and social issues. Guys, let me get this out of the way first. If you appreciate the show and you wanted to support it, very simple, guys. How do you support it? Basically, like, share, subscribe to the YouTube channel, the Facebook page, or the podcast in any platform available on, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So, guys, tonight I am anticipating... A lot of comments, a lot of questions, hopefully, a lot of viewers tonight because of uh, of the guests that I managed to uh, to have this evening. So uh, without further ado, I'm so excited to finally make this announcement. Uh, as I've been, uh, as I said on social media in the preparation for the show tonight, been working on this one for a while, actually more than a year, if I really think of it. And uh, my guest this evening is Montreal legendary personality turned podcaster. Let's welcome to the show the host of the Drive-By Podcast, Freeway Frank. What's happening, Lou? Nice to see you. Hey, how's it going, Frank? First of all, I want to commend you on on this podcast. I've been watching the last couple of episodes. I like the feel of it. I love your look. I love the fact you're doing this live because not anybody could do a live podcast or a live broadcast, having done it myself for almost 30 years on the radio, it takes guts, man, to go on and, you know, turn on the mic live and the camera live and do what you're doing. So I commend you and I really appreciate you having me on tonight. Oh, man, thank you so much, Frank. It means a lot for you to say that. And, you know, a lot of people have told me, why do you do it live? Are you crazy? (laughs) I said, it's just because I love the interaction of the people. So that's why I decided to to do it this way. And so, but before we begin the show, I wanted to say a heartfelt thank you uh, for accepting my invitation. I know you didn't have to do it uh, for, and for treating me uh, with respect ever since I reached out to you on social media. I was, you know, I'm a nobody and and you were, you you took the time and we chatted and we talked about certain podcasts. And uh, so I have an immense um, amount of admiration and and respect for you. So tonight is a big thing for me. And, and I'll be honest with you, my, my nine-year-old said, Daddy, are you nervous? And I said, you know what? For the first time in 61 episodes, I'm nervous. I don't know why. I'm just nervous. It's so funny. that Then all that nervousness went away when we just chatted off air. And I'm like, okay, he's just a regular dude. I'm just a regular guy like everyone else. Lou, I really appreciate you uh, saying that. It means a lot. Usually when we're nervous and when we have butterflies, because it means we, we truly respect our art and what we do. So you truly believe in what you're doing. And that's why we get a little anxious and we get a little nervous. But I appreciate you having me on. As soon as you said that you've been working on this a while, I thought to myself, how haven't I committed sooner? <laughs> this guy's been working on it a while to get no, me. 
I could no. have done this, you know, months ago. I felt bad. I'm like, it took me that long. I feel no. terrible. What a horrible on, human on. being I am. Before, before I make Frank seem like like an like a monster, he's not. I understand because I reached out to you, and you were in the process of finishing your your studio at home. Yes, that's and, true. And 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 all the plans for the podcast. And I totally yep. understand. And you said to me, Luigi, I'm gonna do your show. I promise you. Just mm. let me get this done. Let me get my my podcast running up and running after I do a few episodes, and I'll gladly do yours. So I yes. said, I think after. Your eleventh or twelfth, uh, your eleventh episode. I'm like, okay, it's time. I, I, I let me yeah, let me let me follow up with Frank again. So, um, yeah. So no, Thanks, it, it's it's no big deal. So you know what? It showed perseverance on my end. So listen, we're Absolutely. here. We are. That's what you have to do. Yeah, here we are, and uh, I don't know how many months later, probably over a year later, and uh, here we are. So I wanted to start off, Frank. I wanted to uh, ask just about your career and. Um, how, how did you start off on, in radio and how many years ago and what was, did you always want to be a radio personality? I remember growing up in uh, Montreal, I grew up near the Olympic stadium in Rosemont. And I remember vivid memories of listening to, you know, legendary radio, whether it was Ralph Lockwood way before your time on CKGM, Ted Teven, I think still way before your time. <laughs> on uh, AM's uh, 600, Aaron ran way before your time on CIQC <laughs> when it changed format. Because uh, you're about, you're mid-30s? I don't even know. I, I don't, I shouldn't be doing this. It's very ungentlemanlike of me to ask you. I age. already like you even more. I'm 47 soon. 47, you're closer yeah. to me. Okay, never mind all that, all that niceness. You're closer to my age. We're old. Yeah, get rid and, of the uh, niceness. We don't need niceness tonight. I remember listening to fantastic radio when I was a kid, literally four or five years old. And I take my dad's, I'm not making this up. My sister can attest to this. My parents can attest to this. I used to take a screwdriver and open up my clock radio to see where the voice from the radio, I swear to God, where the voice was coming from. A little nutty. I mean, it's not a stable kid who's, you know, opening up a radio and looking for the voice. But I guess I was just trying to figure out where it came from. And then when I opened it up and saw what was in there, I was amazed by the electronics. But I thought to myself, this is not me. This is not the part of the brain I use, even though I didn't know what that was about at four or five years old. But I thought to myself, I need to find out more about the voice coming from, you know, some studio somewhere in Montreal. And it always intrigued me. I always wanted to be on the air. I started to find out a little bit more about it by, you know, back in the day we had encyclopedias. That was oh my God. And I found out more about radio broadcasting. We had the World Book Encyclopedia when somebody came to our door and I convinced my dad to buy it. So I'd go in, you know, I'd check out the history of radio, how it started. And I was really enamored by Montreal radio. We had some, I'm telling you, like back in the day, legendary broadcasters, yeah. people who came here even from other cities and people who came here from other countries to do radio, including Ralph Lockwood, who passed away yeah. recently, by the way, uh, who I believe was from Pennsylvania. And I grew up listening to Ralph Lockwood, which was my station growing up, CKGM, which I would eventually work on when it became 990 hits back in the early 90s. So oh, okay. always knew I wanted to do it. But then I was at Lester B. Pearson, you know, in high school in Montreal North. We moved from Rosemont to Montreal North. There was no way I could do radio there. So I was I started playing drums. I started I was into music and all that. But then when I had an opportunity, you know, after I graduated from high school, I thought to myself, where am I going to go? to pursue this career, having mm -hmm. known nothing about it besides just listening to the radio. Tried, you know, practicing in the shower, 
doing it on, on my own in my bedroom, pretending I had a radio station at home in my bedroom with my next door neighbor who ended up being in television production. And I ended up being wow. on the radio. Pretty crazy. So I applied to Champlain College and they had a communications mm -hmm. creative arts program. I went there. I took television one, two, and three, sound one, two, and three. They had a radio station, which if anybody went to Champlain College at the time, there was a um, an area called the Bannering. The Bannering, fellow Champlainer. You went to Champlain? Yes. <laughs> so there you go. So now you understand. So that's where Sham Radio, C-H-A-M, yes. was. And I did my own show. And that's where it all started. And then my program director at Sham College, who would later become my friend, Bob Nag had heard from, he was doing promotional setups for a radio station called 990 Hits, which was the yes. former CKGM. And it was a, a, a 980 when I was growing up on the AM dial. It, it eventually became 990 Hits. And he said, hey, would you be interested in doing some setup work for promotions and movie premieres? And I was like, yes, where do I go? So I ended up going to the old CKGM, 990 hits for an interview in September of 1990. This dates me now. Am I going too long, by the way, or am I doing... No, no, no. Doing no okay? Am I rambling? No, no, we're good. We're, yeah, by, well, we might be here till uh, 11 o'clock tonight, I'm, by the we're way. Gonna, we're we're going to go... 2022. We'll go into Joe Rogan. Uh, go into area. Joe Rogan mode. Okay. <laughs> Love Joe Rogan. So Same here. What ends up happening is I go in for the interview, and this gentleman, Wally Levitt, tells me, look, you're going to be putting a banner, you know, and before movies, movie premieres, and you're going to be putting up our logo, our station logo. You're going to drive around in the station van and set up for our, you know, promotional um, events around town. How do you, how does that sound? I was 19 years old. I was like, great. And I was doing a show at Champlain College. I go, okay, great. Sure. I go, but how do I get on the air? He was like, whoa, hang on a second. This is not what it is. You're setting up. He reminded me, even though at the beginning you said you were a nobody, we're all somebody's, but he basically told me oh, in, a, in a nice way, you're a nobody and uh, <laughs> I just need you to set up. Okay. Now this could lead to something in the future because obviously you have your foot in the door and that's what I always, you know, envisioned in my mind. I'm not here to put a banner. I'm here to do a show. So I did that and 990 hits at the time. I think you remember that radio station yes. yep. was the top 40 station in Montreal. Yeah. It was massive. It was before the internet. It was before any of the things we have now, streaming, Spotify, Apple. It was Spotify, Apple back in 19. It broke. We broke records. Yeah. New Kids on the Block were in town. Vanilla Ice were in town. They were on the air. New Kids, you name it. MC Hammer, we met all those people. So oh, I was literally... Was so yeah, I was literally setting up and putting logos even at the Montreal Forum back in the wow. day, okay? And setting up for all these events. But then I got to hang out with the Hitman, Major Tom, Power Max, Gary James, Mark Hollywood, all these legendary... Mark Hollywood, I remember. All wow. these legendary... And I was hanging out with them. I had long hair at the time. I had you know my Howard Stern hair, which went back. And we were doing this thing called power lunch parties where we'd go to high schools at lunch and, and basically do lunch hour raves parties. And I was just the guy going there to set up and put the speakers and the DJ equipment and girls uh, seemed to like me. I was young and I'd show up with all these, these hosts and they're like, who's that guy? 
<laughs> and I was like, I'm just a setup guy. And they started, they started pretty much integrating me in these power lunch parties. And I was hanging out with all the on-air people because they all knew that I wanted to get on the air eventually. Check this so I, out. Melanie Scarfo says, I remember that at LMAC. At Laurie McDonald. Yeah. I was there. Yes. I remember that like it was yesterday. Too bad it wasn't. It was a, <laughs> a long time 32, ago. I was like, 32 By the way, my, my high school. It was your high school too? Yes. Wow. Yeah. I have a lot of friends who went there. So that's like, what, 32 years ago now? Yeah. We graduated in 92. For you, it's 30 years ago. 30 years ago. Yeah. So wow. I ended up doing that. And I started handing in, you know, I was doing a, a show at, at CIRL when I got to Concordia. When I started, that was a Champlain. Then I got to Concordia University where I was doing university radio. And I was doing that shift, still working at 990. Eventually, when I started to get better on the air, because I was absolutely horrible when I first started. I was like, this guy, no one's ever going to give this, this this guy an opportunity. I was I was beyond horrible. When I hear people, you know, back in the day who were starting in radio, I was like, you're better than <laughs> where I was when I first started. Like, you're, you're good. You're in good shape. But I always knew inside of me I could do it. You know, I just knew that mm -hmm. I had to work on my skill and my craft and I would get there. So eventually, when I got confident, and it didn't take too long, I started to submit demo tapes to the radio station, to, wow. to 990. And the first few times it was, you know, met with a little bit of get over yourself. You're never, you know, people work an entire career to make it to Montreal radio. It just doesn't happen like that. But I guess after a few tapes, you know, the program director, this specific program director, Brad Jones, who came in to be the program director from Toronto, liked what I had. And he's like, okay. He goes, you're not there, but you have a lot of potential. Keep working on it. Keep giving me tapes. So during that time, 990 hits, flipped format. It was the worst moment of my life because I grew up listening to Top 40 radio. And then it came to an end. In the summer of 1991, it switched to oldies 990. Yes, I remember. And I was like... Heart attack city. Oh my God. It's over. Oldies 990. What am I going to do here? Like, I'm not going to fit in here. I'm not an oldie. Exactly. But I thought, I love music. I knew all the music. I'm going to stick around. And a lot of the on air people en ended up sticking around, the ones that didn't leave for the West Coast or other markets. And I kept handing in demos. And then one day in November of 1991, the program director, Pulled me aside after handing in demo tapes literally every month for months on end. Said to me, okay, check the schedule. Check the on-air schedule. I'm like, I go, no, I don't have any op shifts. And op shifts in radio are when, you know, you're doing the board. You're running someone else's show. Yeah. And at the time, I had been promoted to producing the morning show on 990, which was Gary James and the James Gang. So I was the producer, the mm -hmm. on-air technical op. So I checked the schedule and I was on the schedule on the overnight shift. And I was like, is that because I'm like, this is, um, I've been downgraded. Yeah. I go, I, I, no, I was downgraded. I go, yeah. I'm opping the overnight show. He goes, no, you're going on live on air. This is, you're doing the shift. You're on, you're doing on air overnights. And I'm like, I am. He's like, yeah, <laughs> break a leg. And I was like, so 
my first shift ever was an hour before producing the morning show for Gary James, where I came yeah. on at four in the morning and they wanted me for that entire week for an hour before to go on, to turn on the mic and do the, and do the, the radio show, which I did. And then I'd go into the morning show mm -hmm. and produce and Gary would put me on as he always did. And eventually it got to the point where the program director said, well, this kid is actually good. I could use this guy as a swing announcer to fill in. So they removed me from the morning show and I started doing overnights. And eventually a new program director came in, Chris St. Clair, and he promoted me to weekends. And next thing you know, I was doing daytime radio at 20 years old, 21 years old wow. in Montreal. So that's pretty much how it all started. So I've always wondered, Frank, I mean, those tapes, when you said that you kept sending in tapes, what were you doing in between tapes? Like, how would you change your style? How would you like what what's entitled? Like what is involved in there? Like, how do you how do you is it changing your style? Is it is how what did they even look like those tapes? So those demo tapes were audio tapes. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, at the time we didn't have YouTube. We didn't have yeah. any of that stuff. So it was literally a radio demo tape, which I had been taught to do in CJEP. And they were just air checks because they're called radio air checks from my Concordia University radio shows. So I had a show on Concordia University from 8 to, to midnight on Saturday nights. And I was out, my on-air moniker was the master of disaster. And <laughs> I just take clips from that show, three, four minutes. That's what an air check is. Not necessarily the best moments. They always tell you, don't put on the best moments because that's too easy. Just put on random moments from your show. And I'd hand those in. And eventually the program director thought, you know, he has it. He has the ability to do this. And so that's what I did. And he gave me an opportunity and I ended up going on the air and never looked back. And from there, you know, I did three years at Oldies 990 and 990 Hits. And then I realized I wasn't really going anywhere mm -hmm. here in Montreal. And uh, my wife just texted me and she said, uh, the lighting in your studio is shit. That's what she wrote compared <laughs> to your lighting. But I'm not in my podcast studio. I'm in my production studio. Anyway. <laughs> Always trying to distract me, my wife. I love her to death. Anyway, so um, <laughs> at some point I thought to myself, you know, there's a lot of people who have been in radio who have never left Montreal. And then they end up staying in Montreal doing weekends or overnights and they never graduate to the next level. And I had spoken to a lot of professionals, including Mark Hollywood at the time, who was kind of like a mentor of mine, who did the evening show mm -hmm. and the morning show when Gary James wasn't around. And he said, dude, you got to leave. You got to leave. You got to go to another market. He said a small market. In my mind, I was like, I'm not going to no small market. <laughs> I'm from Montreal. I'll figure it out, but I'm not going to no small market. I was lucky because I say lucky with hard work because I always believed in myself. And I said, you know, so what do I do? I'm like, I'm never going to move on here in Montreal unless I leave mm -hmm. and, you know, get a bigger gig. I'm going to apply to a radio station in Vancouver. Well, next thing you know, I get the gig. So I end up moving to Vancouver in the summer of um, spring of 1993. In the summer of 1993, I begin my gig. And as they say, the rest is history. So I lived in Vancouver for almost almost just short of a decade. Mm -hmm. I worked at a legend, two legendary radio stations in Vancouver. Uh, became a really known name at 
especially in those days, because, you know, we didn't have all the streaming services. We didn't have everything we have today. So for Vancouver, you say the name Freeway Frank circa 1990s. Everybody will remember me. And I became Freeway Frank in Vancouver and never stopped using that moniker and, and that handle. And, and then I went from Vancouver to Toronto and got a gig of a lifetime and then got my first morning show in Calgary, gig of, gig of a lifetime. And because I went to Calgary and did four years on the air there, Montreal came calling and I got the morning show at Virgin Radio in Montreal where I spent a decade and the, here I am. So it was an, it was an incredible and, and I wish in many ways that it hadn't ended the way it did, but it was an incredible career. And I miss it. I love radio, yeah. but I don't miss the bullshit of the industry and what it's become. But I miss radio. It's a fantastic medium. And I'm sure we'll talk about that. Yeah. It's just, I, sure. I miss it. I love it. It's it's all I know. It's what I've done for three decades. So, Well, you know what, Frank? Um, first of all, for, for those of you watching that are not from Montreal, you have to understand that Frank's uh, was limited because of the Anglophone. And there's only a handful of English radio stations uh, in Quebec. And also the the audience that's attached to it, right? And as the years have gone by, we've lost a lot of anglophones that have left. Yeah. Um, so so that's why there, there's always a lot of our announcers or a lot of our personalities have gone to work in bigger markets within Canada and then have come back. Um, but but I'm I'm glad you mentioned it. And you know, I was I was contemplating whether or not I want to talk to you about it. And, and we're not going to get into details of it because we don't need to get into the details. But it, just because your departure from radio was so public. And it was so uh, sudden and it was so, I, I think basically what I want to say is these, you know, Ted, Terry and Ted talk about it a lot about these, these big companies, these, these conglomerates that own these radio stations now, whereas back, back in the day it was families that ran it like a family business. And it's just, Frank, I just, I, I feel that it, there's stories everywhere that they just like let go and it's just it's just a business and it doesn't matter what it meant to the people of that city i mean it's we're not talking about anything it's not a tv person it's a, a radio person that's in our hearts that's in our car every day when we're stuck in traffic and i i think basically honestly i think it's a death of radio when these big companies got involved um how did you handle that i mean how how was that i know i know it was rough i i could see it you could see the pain in your at the time, I remember it when it was so public. How did you handle that? How did you get through it? It was, I'm glad you said that. It was painful um, yeah. because I lived my life on the radio. You know, what you see is what you get. Who I am is who I was on the radio. I didn't put on any persona. Yes, you're on. You know, the on-air light goes on and you're in, uh, you're in radio mode. You're aware of what's going on. You're, you're, you're focused. You're executing the format and the day's content, but I, I, I never, I was always true to myself. You know, I never tried to be somebody that I wasn't that got me into trouble sometimes, but not enough trouble that it would be, you know, uh, that they would, they would let me go for those reasons. I never had any, any types of issues, honestly, you know, and neither did Natasha. We didn't have any disciplinary issues or anything that we were warned about at all this one came out of the blue uh you know i know a lot of people in montreal and 
I worked in the industry for nearly three decades and I worked on Montreal radio for nearly a decade. A lot of connections, met a lot of people. There were rumblings. I heard things that I maybe not, you know, should not have heard, but I heard that there was a possibility that they were getting rid of me. And I didn't want to believe it because I thought they're going to get rid of me. You know, they're going to get rid of Natasha. But most importantly, they're going to get rid of me. <laughs> no, no, just kidding. But you know, I'm like, we're, we're Montreal born and raised. Yeah. We know, you know, I left Montreal to pursue my radio career so that one day Montreal would take me more, you know, seriously and give me a morning gig. I always told my, my late father, I'll only come back to Montreal because I left Montreal in 1993, right before the second referendum. I had enough of Quebec, kind of like yeah. now. I have enough Quebec. Yeah. Everybody's <laughs> of Quebec. I definitely, I'm almost out. <laughs> and I thought to myself, I need to get the hell out of here. But also, more importantly, I got out because I wanted to work on my radio career. I wanted to work on my style. I wanted to work on my speech. I wanted to work on everything so that one day I would be taken seriously as a broadcaster and get the gig I wanted, which was either running the ship in Montreal, being the program director, or, like I told my dad, hosting the morning show at a legendary Montreal radio station, which 95.9 was legendary station as well. So it became a legendary station after 990 hits. So that's what happened. And that's what brought me back here. So when I lost the gig, it was painful. I can't explain to you how painful it was, especially because even though, as I said, you hear rumblings, you never want to believe it. It comes out of nowhere and literally Will Smith knocks you out. <laughs> and there we were, Natasha and I on the floor, kind of looking up going, you, you, you got to be kidding me here. I, I just put 10 years of sacrifice of my radio career, I moved across the country four times, cross-country moves, not small moves, cross-country. Yeah. I came here for this gig. I lived my life on the air, exposed everything. Natasha exposed all her life. We were real, albeit two different personalities, two different types of people. We always got along great. We were literally a morning wife and husband. Yeah, That's what we called each other. And we were told by our U.S. American consultants, our superiors in Toronto, our superiors in Montreal, that, you know, you need to live your real life on the air. Talk about things that happen in your real life. Frank, you need to say something that connects with the audience. I said mm -hmm. more than something. I talked about my wife and I trying to have kids and not being able to, but still trying we talked about a lot of things that were sensitive issues. Natasha with her divorce, so many different things. And they always said, never forget the audience because the audience will relate to all these real life situations you're living and they'll hear it and they'll connect with you because they're going through the same type of things. So we did. And then, you know, out of the blue comes the knockout punch we're erased from the website. We're, we're terminated one Wednesday morning like we never existed. Existed. This audience that they said was so important and we need to super serve and we need to talk to these people and connect with them, which we did. We did charity events. 
promotional events, sales events. We were everywhere, Natasha and I. Most importantly, the charity events, which from the bottom of my heart, I miss doing because I met so many great people doing those events and we helped so many causes. And I'm not trying to pat myself on the back like I'm some no. incredible person, but they gave me the opportunity, these char charities, to be front and center emceeing their events and talking about their events. It increased my profile and it made me who I was in Montreal. And I, I, again, as I said, they stress the importance of the audience, the audience, the audience. And then one day, just like that, we're gone. We're gone. And, and I thought to myself, what hypocrites. So we're not going to get a chance to go on the air and say our goodbyes and say they don't want us anymore. And obviously, they're not going to let us say that. But yeah. I would have I agreed to some kind of goodbye to, a, to our audience of 10 years, our 2 million listeners they always talked about, which now didn't matter all of a sudden. And then literally a couple of days later, replaced by a younger, different team. I don't not I don't for the it. reasons that we were told we were being replaced for, but yeah. regardless, here we are. I, I, I think uh I echo when when a lot of people um did not understand that move. It didn't make sense. And here they are, right, telling you be be vulnerable and and be raw, which you guys were, and I remember that. And look, I mean, judging from the comments, first of all, thank you for being on the show because my sister Anna is actually watching. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> And my sister Giovanna, she says she stopped listening when and you Giovanna, and Natasha so hi, got Giovanna. fired. Giovanna's as well listening. Cool. Uh, so she stopped listening when you and Natasha got fired. My good friend Sonia Roddy says, hi, Sonia, by the way, you both were great. I stopped listening when you were gone. You were both connected with us all. And Thanks, Anna Sonia. says, again, we did, Frank. Um, Vic, Vic from PMG Group, my good friend Vic. Love Frank Vic. And, love Vic. Love Vic. Uh, Frank and Natasha were top. Uh, Melanie says, I stopped listening since since that August 7th. Oh, my God. She gosh. remembers the date, August 7th. <laughs> I remember the date. I didn't think anyone would, but that's that's wow. Thanks, Mel. Uh, Pat says, uh, Pat, a uh, good friend of mine, actually used to work at PMG Group together. There's no more respect for great employees in any industry nowadays. No, there isn't. Uh, there isn't. Uh, <laughs> and my sister, Jess, uh, Giovanna says, bro, V is watching too. So I got three of my sisters watching tonight. <laughs> it's a family affair. Yeah, Lena Alessia, a good friend of mine as well from high school. I haven't listened since you guys left. You were the best morning team ever. So Thanks, you know what? We're just, we just, I think we warmed up your heart a little bit after that because I felt it was getting a little bit too uh, too dark there. But <laughs> I was no. going down a dark road. <laughs> we're we're going to bring you back, Frank. We're bring me bring back. You. Let's talk yeah. about something uh, more exciting. No, but so, I'm glad you asked that question because you know I, I wanted I wanted people to hear the truth, and that that's honestly my uh, my heartfelt feelings on on our departure from virgins but it's it's the, it's just the one thing that hit me that pisses me off is that you didn't have a chance to say goodbye yeah like you not even the respect of saying goodbye to the viewers that the uh, viewers to the listeners that listen to you for close to a decade not even be able to say goodbye i mean where is where is the respect where is the dignity in that i don't understand um it, it, i, I, I why why anyway i don't think we're gonna get that answer so i just i just wanted to point that out uh continue comments coming in naveen my good friend naveen frank is a rock star my other good friend nick says same here great loss to radio in montreal thanks guys for tuning in and putting your comments i know that uh frank uh feels good and, and feels the love tonight and i'm feeling the love as well so ellen john i think that um all of this frank has led you to where you are today Right, because 
let's face it, um, the way people consume media has changed. And in this wonderful world of podcasting that now we're both in, how how have you managed to navigate the change between radio and podcasting? How are you finding it? Well, I was always excited, you know, about podcasting because it was new, it was different, it was fresh. And I've been a Joe Rogan fan and listener for years now before he even became popular. When Joe Rogan didn't have the following that he has now, the millions around the world, hundreds of millions, Crazy. making the money that he makes. Um, I used to watch Joe Rogan when he was on Fear Factor. And truthfully, I always modeled my... I remember seeing him on a sitcom when I was living in Los Angeles for about six months in 1994 between two radio gigs. He was on a sitcom. And He's I always radio. thought to myself... Joe, Rog I felt like I was Joe Rogan. So one day when he, I was like, this is me. It's just that he's an Italian American from Boston yeah. or wherever he's from Massachusetts, I think. Yeah. Or Jersey, Jersey. I don't know from the East coast, uh, from Boston. Yeah. Boston. And, yeah. uh, so it's no surprise that I, I, I always, you know, liked him. And then I started to find out more about the medium when I was working in radio. And truthfully, mm -hmm. when my wife and I moved to, this area of Montreal called Brossard in the South Shore, a few minutes from downtown Montreal. And we built our home and never thought in my wildest you know, dreams that I would get an opportunity to build my own studio. But I built it you know, four years ago, knowing that one day my radio career might come to an end. And boy, was I right. <laughs> Premonition. <laughs> talk about the Oracle. I mean, what a, yeah. I'm like Jojo the psychic. Here. Yeah. <laughs> jo Jojo, man. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? I, I built it and, uh, and I thought one day this is going to be great. I'll, I'll be able to jump right into it and, uh, you know, transform into this great podcast where well, little did I know that podcasting is completely different from radio broadcasting. And thankfully I met a lot of people in the podcasting world and people who listen to a lot of podcasts and they quickly informed me that it's a completely different medium. Yeah. And it is. So, you know, in the first, I recorded my 14th episode yesterday. It, it airs tomorrow morning, comes out tomorrow morning. I learned in my first first 14 episodes that podcasting is completely different than radio. And I'm trying to, you know, transform myself into a podcaster and forget about everything I've learned in broadcasting, even though there are a lot of great things I've learned that help me in podcasting. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of things about podcasting that are completely different, mostly different from radio. So you know, I pick up those things from, from podcast to podcast, from episode to episode, and I realize, well, this is not easy. And it's not like I, you know, finished my show, like Melanie said, on August 7th, 2019, <laughs> and August 8th, I had a podcast up and running. Had I had that momentum, I think the, the audience would have just gone there easily. But for two years, Luke, people were writing to me going, what's going on? Are you going to do a podcast? Are you going to do a a new radio show is somebody mm -hmm. going to hire you. And for two and a half years or two years at the time, I didn't have an answer. I was just kind of like chilling and doing other things and trying to get my podcast ready. And then COVID hit and that all went down the drain and plans changed for everybody around the planet. And, and now I couldn't do the podcast or show I wanted to do because I'm all about, and it's not a diss towards what you're doing and what people do with these types of, I respect people who do these. It's just, 
It's a different platform. Yeah. I wanted to do my podcast like Joe live in studio. And Joe, if you remember, if you go back to when Joe Rogan started, his podcast was originally at his house. Yes. He started in his house before he progressed to, you know, buying a studio and things got better for him and more popular. And he ended up building a, a studio outside of his home and the rest is history, as they say. So I always wanted to model my podcast after after Joe. He was kind of like a, mon a mentor. I didn't want to do the same thing, but I respected what he did. And so it's been a learning experience. And from your original question, it hasn't been easy because even though my numbers are growing, my views on YouTube are growing, my downloads are increasing week per week, I'm not going to sit here and pretend it was my show on Virgin Radio where we had millions of people. But I tell you, there's some kind of satisfaction that I get nowadays when I'm in a cafe or a restaurant or anywhere and someone comes up to me and is not saying, this is what they used to say. Yeah. I like a lot of the messages, we really miss you on Virgin Radio, really miss you on the radio, really miss. Now it's, I've been listening to your podcast and I agree with you, or I've been listening to your podcast. I don't really agree with you, but I love what you're doing and what you're standing for. So now it's the drive-by, which is the name of my new podcast that they're talking about. To me, that is the ultimate fulfillment because I've moved on. I closed the chapter to radio. Not fully. You never know. But I think pretty much closed the chapter. And I've moved on to podcasting, and I'm not looking back. We, there, I, you know what, Frank? The, the, the thing is, is that um, you're, you're going you're gonna to take... Frank, can you still hear me? I'm here. Yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yep. You're you're gonna you're gonna see what you see now. Now that you've you've grown this from the bottom by yourself, and trust me, I look at everything. Right. I've done so much homework, just in general in podcasting. I still have so much to learn. I look at other and I listen to other podcasts. And I speak to other podcasts. I look at your numbers. I look at your guests. Uh, trust me, what you've managed to do in a very short period of time, and it's it's not because of it's not because of your name. I'm sorry, and I'm not here to 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 float your 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 boat or or pump your tire. I'm I'm even I'm just here to say it, it's the truth. There it is because those numbers are growing because it's quality content, and you know what? First of all, I'm so glad that you have this medium because sitting down and Joe always says this, right? Sitting down and having a conversation with an hour, an hour or two and three, and we set this off air. When you really get to, you know, in your case, meet the person, they come into your home, you have a drink, you have the, the show, uh, you eat together, you really get to know them. And the people listening and watching get to know this person as well. It has nothing. You cannot compare it to the radio when if a guest was there, how long would he have been there for Frank? Five minutes. Yeah. Ten. It, if I was it, lucky. Actually, in the beginning, it was more like 20 minutes. And then they brought it down. They said to me. 90 seconds or less. Got a new boss. It's 90 yeah. seconds or less. I, I knew yeah. that was, that's it. It's the end of radio yeah. right there. So, uh, Naveen, just, to, I think Frank answered the question. Uh, is he ever going back to radio? Uh, he hasn't closed the book, right, Frank? But you never, never know. closed the book. Look, I had some opportunities a year ago before I opened my mouth and uh, trashed legacy media and said everything I had. <laughs> <laughs> Everything I was thinking was blur blurted out, and uh, I had some opportunities. I I don't don't believe they'll ever hire me again, but that's okay because um, I wouldn't want to work for a radio station unless it was truly aligned with with my beliefs, and I didn't um, 
look, I, I, I think people who have followed me know my thoughts on legacy media, which is some people call mainstream, but I don't believe mainstream. Joe Rogan is mainstream now. Yeah. So legacy yeah. media yeah. is passé, as we say in French, passé composé. I just think that we've come a long way and, or I've come a long way in this, in this instance or Natasha as well, yeah. but I can't speak for Natasha and it's time, it's time to move on. And I've worked three decades in the business. If I wanted to stay in radio, I would not have said what I said. And I meant what I said. I was critical of the industry and what they're doing to it. I love radio. I don't like what the industry is doing to it, yeah. what they've done to it, where it's heading. And it's not to a good place. I think it's sinking like a sunset. And I don't want to be a part of that. And even when I was in, in radio, I could see it happening. And I give my input and my thoughts. Very I was very diplomatic. And I'd say, guys, I really think we should be doing this. And no, they had their game plan. They truly believed in what they were they believed in, and I didn't. And they had the vision for the morning show, which was not my vision. But you know what? I kept going in every morning and executing the format because it was a great living. And I thought, when you know, it's going to change at some point. They're going to, and it never did. And eventually, they surprised me. And as I said, they terminated me. And and now I've moved on to this. So as your as your friend mentioned, would I ever go back? Possibility. Never close your your, your door, but. Had I wanted to keep my ties with radio, I would never have said what I said. So. Yeah. If, if my opinion, um, in terms of I mentioned it before, the way people are consuming media and consuming uh, information, I think radio is, you know, um, radio is dead. Uh, podcasting has, as a medium, has been growing exponentially every year for the past, I believe, twelve to thirteen years, it's and massive. every year. And every year they say it cannot get any bigger, but the, oh. every year it gets bigger Big. and bigger. Yeah. So um, I, I definitely, I definitely know that there is a space in it for for uh, for people like you, and for for what you bring to the table. So I'm I'm not worried about that. I don't think it, it, it's it won't for me. It won't bring out radio. Will not bring out the real freeway, Frank. And I think that there's a lot lost because. If there wasn't podcast, imagine the people that we wouldn't be able to hear, the Joe Rogans or just the other people. You know, I, I, this is a great example, okay? I, I love Sebastian Maniscalco as a comedian, okay? He's, he's, he's great, but I, w I don't want to go see him again in concert, okay? I don't because uh, in concert, in, in live, because I feel like it, it, it's just, it, it becomes redundant. However, I've listened to his podcast that he has with another fellow comedian, Pete Corielli. Yeah. They're, they're almost close to 500 episodes, guys. It's eight years. I listen to them, and it's so natural, Frank. And the laughter, the joy I get out of listening to these guys talking about the dumbest stuff, just everyday mundane stuff about raising their family and what they do on the road and what they see, that's the real them. And yep. that's, what, that's what people love and can relate to and laugh. When you see them on the stage, it's completely different. But on that podcast, naturally... Yeah. The stage is like for Sebastian Maniscalco, the stage is formatted. Yeah. It's a show and it's kind of like TV. It's radio. It's everything that people that are in podcasting don't want to do. That's not it. Podcasting is completely different. It's real. It's spur of the moment. It's saying what you mean, your honest thoughts. It's raw. And that's not, unfortunately, that's not radio. You know, pioneers of radio like 
Don Imus and Howard Stern left the medium. True. To do other other to, to be on other platforms because they knew it was the death of radio decades yeah. ago. So I remember being on the radio, no joke, you know, and telling my producer and my co-host, I swear, I would sit back some mornings and I'd be like, and you know, we were having a good show. It wasn't like it wasn't bad. We were the number one show in the city. And I was sitting back going, who's listening to this? Because <laughs> we just finished playing eight minutes of commercials. Then we play a horrible song. And then we come back on and talk about something for three minutes. Then we play another eight minutes of commercials. Yeah. And I'm like, this is horrible. Who's, and, then, and then people meet you and they're like, I love your show. And it's amazing. I'm like, I, I play 30 minutes of commercials every morning. Six really bad songs, one okay song, and then Natasha and I talk. How is this great? You know, this is not what I want. It's never what I really wanted to do. I wanted to turn on the mic and talk. As you can tell, I'm pretty decent. At, I ramble on and talk and play a couple of records and, and play a couple of commercials. But, you know, focus on the conversation and the content. But that's not what radio year after year, you know, has become. It got worse and worse more formatted, more edited. Yeah. And it got to the point where it was so corporate, like you said at the beginning of the show, it just took the life out of, you know, the the soul out of the medium. Radio, what it was 50 years ago, 40, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, it's not what it is today. It's I mean horribly formatted and corporate. Yeah. I, I don't I don't I don't listen at all anymore. I mean I'm in I'm in the car and uh <laughs> I had the either a podcast or I had my Apple iTunes on or Spotify music and uh, radio. I, I the minute I'm in, the car is plugged in, and that's Lou, it. Lou, can I can I say sure. how terribly out of touch radio is? Okay, and I'm sure you've oh. noticed. This is how out of touch radio is. You just said you get into your car, you turn on Spotify, you'll listen to your music on Spotify, you'll listen to your podcasts on Spotify. Yeah, commercial free. If you don't have Spotify premium, the commercials come on, you deal with it 30 seconds, you move on, or you buy the premium membership. They're not paying me to say this, 11 or 12 bucks a month, whatever the case is. Radio, you're driving down the high. This is, a, by the way, if anyone says, you know, he's trashing radio, you have to understand, they were, this was my livelihood for three decades. I have the right to criticize something I've been a part of for three decades. Whether they paid me or not, I still gave my services. And now I'm giving you my opinion. In 2022, you're driving down the Metropolitan in Montreal to carry, and there are billboards. Okay. Yep. And the bill, some of the billboards say 90 minutes of nonstop commercial. This is how out of touch radio is 90 minutes of nonstop commercial free music. Now, in 1996, when a billboard off to carry is telling you the radio station is playing 90 minutes nonstop, it's like, oh my God. They're breaking music. They're the first to play the hits. 90 minutes, no commercials. Let's go. I might even press record on my cassette and get 90 minutes of interrupted music. I don't want to have to buy the CD or the cassette or the album. This is amazing. In 2022, when that's your advertising campaign that you're playing 90 minutes of nonstop music, this is how out of touch radio is. 90 minutes of nonstop. I could get 40 million hours or minutes of nonstop music, infinite amount on Spotify, basically till the day I die without exactly. ever hearing a commercial. Why would I listen to your crap for an hour and a half? So to me, when I see that and I'm driving on the side of the highway, I think to myself, thank God I'm not in this business anymore because whoever's making that decision to put up that billboard, it just proves to me 
that this industry has run out of railroad track. And if you can't admit that and you're in radio today, what I just said, you you just look the other way and say, uh, Frank is a fool. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Then you're insane because that is the most ridiculous promotional campaign for 2022. 90 minutes. I, I'll get that anywhere. I'll get on Spotify. I'll get on Apple Music. I pay 10 bucks a month and I get all the music I want whenever I want. The millions of songs in terms of, of, of choices. And, and, but you know, it's not, it's not, not just like regular radio as well. Frank, I had to, st- I had to stop. I used to listen to CJD. I stopped listening to CJD because it's, it's, it, and I, I you know, as I always say on my pod, as I got older, I start to question things a lot more. Uh, you know, they say as you get older, you become you go from the left to the middle uh, or for, from liberal to conservative when you're in your 40s. In any case, it doesn't really matter where you lean. No. But when I was and then I find myself as I'm starting my podcast again and I start to question a lot of things and I'm listening to CJD, for example, I'm like, what am I listening to? This is crazy. It's impossible that they all agree on, on just on one one side of the aisle, it's impossible. So it's clear here what's happening, right? There's a message. It's an agenda. It's, it's an, an agenda. agenda. That's exactly it. And you have to be crazy not to notice or admit it, or you have to be so indoctrinated when you're in the studio, and you know your paycheck is so important to you. And don't get me wrong, I was that person where I was in there, and they could say anything to me, and I'd be like, all right, all right. But I'll tell you, if I was still in radio. At the beginning of the pandemic, I wouldn't have made, I always say, had I not been fired in August of 2019, I would have been fired in March of 2020. Because the minute they started telling me some some bullshit about COVID or the pandemic, even though COVID is, is real, I would have said, no, I, I can't not say how I'm feeling. And the minute I would have you know blurted out some, some commentary, I would have been shown the door. So oh. I'm almost happy in a way that I didn't even make it you know to 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 living through covid and being on the radio for sure that's just to me you're right they're all on the same side if if what we were listening to or watching on tv or listening to on the radio was so objective well then they would show both sides of the story show the other you know have somebody else on who will debate elias or will debate natasha hall or will debate aaron Rand. but it's so woke it's so one-sided it's so left you're listening to it going, and you know what? They vilified, stigmatized, dehumanized, unvaccinated people. And I don't want to get into this whole conversation. No, but we're not. They, but they just, they just horribly demonized people. They didn't even realize what they were saying. But had they said that about a minority group, a gender, forget it. Forget it. So that to me, I lost a lot of respect for that radio station and some of the people on it. I'm appalled by some of the things they said. I was terribly, I, I never got offended. I was terribly offended <laughs> at some of the stuff that they said. I'm offended. I was like, that These you, people are absolutely ridiculous and woke. I'm offended that you're offended, Frank. But yeah, no, of course. listen, I could confirm that you would not have lasted through this <laughs> pandemic. Zero chance. Because, because, you know, regardless of how you feel, you yeah. know, and I listened to the, the episode with Chris Nyland, I. I cannot believe I'm not even a Habs fan, as you could see. All right, I'm a Bruins. I saw fan. your Boston Bruins logo behind, and I was like, "Oh, <laughs> I hope we could still be friends, right?" But uh, anyway, so, but I hate, for, by the way, little uh, anecdote here, a little uh, side note. I hate the Toronto Maple Leafs more than I hate the Boston Bruins. <laughs> and people are shocked to hear that. Just saying. Okay? Yeah, I know. I, I know. Uh, so 
having listened to the the station and the reason of firing Chris Nyland, this is the same Chris Nyland that means more to the city than than a lot of people could even possibly understand. And this is, of course, a Boston native. For me, he's a Judas, right? But I yeah. still love this. Um, and and regardless of how you think of him as a radio guy, and if you liked him or not, the way. The fact of after all two years into a pandemic, he gets fired. So, I mean, and again, having listened to a lot of your podcasts and 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 the things that you said, I could guarantee you would. I don't think Frankie would have exploded. You would have exploded. And and it's funny because that that's a great leeway into what what makes you tick? What makes you? hold on and this is what i really admire about you what and we're very similar by the way on so many ways it's crazy um what makes you stick to your principles no matter what you know no matter from from losing a sponsor um on your podcast from i'm sure you know i'll ask you another question later the shit that's been said about you or the comments that you probably receive and i'm sure that the positive outweighs the negative but what makes you (laughs) yeah it's okay it's fine it's fine. That means that you're it. You know what, Frank? Yeah. What I've realized that if if there is no negative, that means that you're not having an impact. Mm-hmm. That's the way I look at it. All right. If you've never stood, I think Martin Luther King says, if you've never stood up for anything, if if you've never been bothered, or if you've never been assaulted or or in, insulted or anything of that nature, that means you never stood up for anything. Of course. I was it Winston Churchill. I don't recall, but it doesn't matter. I love them both. Yeah. So um, great leaders. Yeah. Exactly. So. What makes you think? What what makes you plow ahead? Stick to your principles because, especially I think when you did your last solo, I mean it was it was fantastic. I mean the way you no this guy I'm going to stick my ground. I don't give a shit what people think. This is me. Well, I have to start by saying that I'm in a different predicament. Later in my career, I've spent my 30 years in broadcasting. They're behind me. Hmm. I really have nothing to lose in the sense that I'm not going to lose my gig. I'm not attached to any company or a paycheck. So it's a lot easier for me to say the things that I'm saying nowadays than when I had a gig back in August of 2019. But what makes me tick, what makes me keep going, and that's the reason why I started doing the drive-by podcast, I want real conversation. I want it to be raw. I want it to be authentic. They'd say that to me back when I worked on the radio. You know, you have to be raw. You have to be real and authentic. And there was nothing raw, real, and authentic about radio, especially not morning radio. It was embellished. It was contrived. And there were many things Natasha and I didn't like and many things we were told to execute or else. That's the truth. So what keeps me going is I hate fabrication I hate embellishment. Everybody embellishes a story, right? Yeah. A little bit when you're telling a story, when your friends at the bar is like, bro, a little bit. There's, there's guilty, a little, guilty there's, as charged. There's, yeah, there's, especially as Italians, <laughs> there's, you know what? Embellishment is okay. Exaggeration, hyperbole, that's fine. But when you're making up shit like the media does nowadays, the way they've they depicted the trucker convoy, not that I'm going to get into that, but you know, you you understand what I'm saying yes, is that yes. what they want to show, okay, and what is actual fact or reality, and the fact they're so scared, like you said earlier, to bring in others with different opinions. 
I don't want to be that. I don't want to be a part of that. I want to be true and honest and who I am. And I don't want to be, I hate lying. I hate holding back. I'm not about censorship. I'm for freedom of speech and choice on all regards. And that's what keeps me going. I mean, when I turn on that mic and I'm doing the podcast, and in a way, through my years of doing radio, when I turn on that mic, you could still tell I was trying to be as authentic within the realm of radio as possible. I'd say things, whether Natasha was shocked or the, an audience member was shocked. I can't believe you just said that. I still said things on the air, but today I'm completely different than I was on the air. But I haven't changed. That was all, you know, people say, you changed. You're not the same person you were on the radio. As a matter of fact, I am the same person I was on the radio. You just never heard it. You just never yeah. got a chance to hear that person. And I was disciplined enough to stay within the parameters of the medium because I respected radio and all my years in broadcasting that I just stayed within those lines. But I always attempted to try to break away from those those lines and eventually i was no longer there and now i'm doing what i'm doing and there are no lines the lines are gone there's no there's a field but you don't know <laughs> you could kick the ball anywhere i could never mind in the goal i could kick the ball in the stands if i want to and and to the opposing player that's the beauty of this podcast and that's the beauty with where my life is now nothing to lose Anymore. I, I, I could totally, I do appreciate your honesty in saying that, that you did listen, anyone in your position would have done what they'd done. I'm, I'm not going to start to judge people that are on the radio, you're being paid whatever amount of money and you're going to, you know, you think a lot of us love doing what we're doing, right? Uh, so, so a lot of people do what they need to do to provide for their family. And, 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 and so it, it's, it's, it's very easy to sit across the aisle and, and judge people, um, but now when you see the real person, right, uh, it's it's it, it's so good to see when a person could be themselves and especially in this world today. And I loved your answer, right, because of all this misinformation. And this is something that I've always asked this question to a lot of my guests. And I want to get your take on this. So when did when I'm going to I'm going to give you my take. So because I always ask this question. When did you when did when did you think this woke culture began, this PC culture began, and, and this burning desire to be able to stand for a cause that, that no one knows anything about or they don't even necessarily believe in? I, I, my take on it is that I think as humans, um, we always have this unbearable need to belong to a tribe and whatever is in vogue at the time people are going to jump on it uh and i think it's just human nature but what i can't understand which i can't i can't come up with a conclusion frank is when did it get so out of hand that you can't even say that for example uh maybe we should question these vaccines uh, maybe this freedom convoy has an has a point and they're right and let me spend fifty dollars and give it to them as I did. Um, you know what? Let me let me pr promote a little bit of civil di disobedience 
because no change has ever come in the world and the history without some civil disobedience and being called out for it on top of that, Frank, no. which I still cannot believe. But in any case, um, when, when did, when did we lose control? When did it start? I, I'm trying to find an answer, Frank, why did this current state of the world, I, I honestly don't like it. And I have to raise children in this. Well, I think, you know, the song by Billy Joel, we didn't start the fire. It was always burning. I know. Since the world is very tacky 80s song that I'm giving. But I give I like to give analogies with songs. And since you said what you said, that's the first thing that came to my mind. The lyrics from Billy Joel. We didn't start the fire. It was always burning since the world's been turning. It's always been there. And it's been brewing. You know, it's been brewing. And it's like you put that, you know, La Pasta on Sunday, uh, you know, into the, um, into the, uh, the big uh, yeah, and it's in, in the pot and it's boiling. And, you know, of course, you put some salt in there and you, you walked away for a second. What happens if you have the temperature too high? The pot starts to overflow. Right. Yeah. So it's been brewing for a long time. We've had a history, of course, our entire history in humanity of treating people very badly. OK, uh, we did it to you name it in the name of religion. We did it with slavery. We did it. And then the women's movement yeah. uh, came about because the way we treated women, the way we treated indigenous people and the First Nations. This has been going on the way we treated homosexuals. This goes on and on and on. So it gets to the point where it's brewing and brewing and brewing, where these people have been treated so badly. And I'm the first to admit a lot of injustices have been committed through the decades of through the centuries of humanity yes for all those reasons i mentioned and now it gets to the point where you know you have hollywood dictating and now hollywood and people like justin trudeau and george clooney and all these people have become the spokes people for you know defending these people and instead of coming out and saying you know here are the wrongs we committed Maybe like Gord Downey of the Tragically Hip, you know, and saying oh, in his music and helping people that way. No, Trudeau is going to make it a point, for example, our prime minister, to apologize to everybody for all the wrongdoings in the history of the world. We're going to apologize to the Italians 70 or 80 years after the fact for the internment camps. We're going to apologize to these people. We're going to apologize for these people. Uh, you know what? Now we're going to have pronouns and I'm okay with it. I'm not going to go to one gay pride party. I'm not going to go to two or three. And by the way, I'm pro LGBTQ plus, mm -hmm. but now I'm going to go to 37 gay pride pa parties. Cause it's, everything is over the top. And then the yes. me too movement. And we're going to fire this person because he said this and this person, because he associated with that person. And we're going to topple statues of uh, people in history that were part of a very, uh, violent and crazy time, time in our yep. history okay yep. but we're gonna we're gonna pay everyone's gonna pay okay and as i said this this melting pot eventually is gonna boil over which is what's happening right now and you can't say anything anymore and it comes to a point where you can't say anything about vaccines you can't question a virus you can't will smith can't take a joke. And by the way, whether the joke was insensitive or not is besides the point. We could debate the insensitiveness of the joke, it. which was delivered by by uh, Chris Rock. 
But when did it become okay to go up to somebody on the world stage at the Oscars, which is supposed to be a classy show, you know, I'm the last guy that promotes Hollywood. And he's physically assaulting somebody on this. This is what we've become. We can't take criticisms, jokes, commentary. It's very simple. You don't like it, turn it off. Don't support it. Walk out, don't buy the ticket, whatever the case is. But to try to eliminate free speech and, and to try, like, that's why I mentioned Justin Trudeau and all yeah. these globalists and all these people. They don't realize it. They're the biggest dictators. They're trying to change our planet. They're trying to implement, like, you know, this is the way the world should be. And these people have suffered for so long. Now, everybody pays. Masculinity, toxic. Men are bad. Uh, you know, straight people, bad. Everybody, everybody, white people, bad. We're the worst. Uh, you were at the Freedom Convoy. White nationalists, probably racist and an extremist. This misogynist. Is, misogynist. This, misogynist. Forgot that. Yeah. This is the world we're living in. It's insane. And it's so, out of control. And like you said, and I mentioned in the Billy Joel song, it's been burning since the beginning, so but now it's beyond the point of, 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 uh, it's out of control. It's completely out of control. So do you think, you know, our, our mutual, um, our mutual, uh, Joe Rogan that we, we both, we both admire asked this question to, to Dr. Gatsad from Concordia University, Jordan, the Dr. Jordan Peterson, which is uh, someone else that I love and adore. He asked him, do you think things will settle down and we'll get back to a type of normalcy that um, we're not going to be able to question or think about every single thing that we say on a daily basis, every single post that we put out there? Do you think that we're going to get back to some sort of normalcy, Frank? Because I'll be honest with you. I mean, I mentioned it before. I have a 12 and 9-year-old. I'm worried. I'm worried that the, the world that you these kids. Be. If you have kids, yeah, I, I do. I do. I, I do because um, I'm worried about the world that they're growing up in. I'm worried about what they're being taught at school. I'm learning about what they're learning and what they're seeing online. And and luckily, they don't watch news. And if we, you know, media. That's another story. We could we could do another podcast in terms of just talking about media, um, and and the lies and and and. The one-sidedness. Um, do you think there is going to be some it, things will average out and maybe we'll get to some sort of normalcy? I think if if there's a resistance and there's people out there like you and I, leaders, true leaders, not managers or micromanagers like mm -hmm. Justin Trudeau or Joe Biden, true leaders that are willing to put their best foot forward and resist, you know, and say, no, this is not right. No, and I, I don't want my kids being indoctrinated this way. No, no, th these are my kids. These are the conversations I have with my kids. I think when people resist and fight back and say, no, this is not acceptable. It's the only way we prevent it from becoming the new normal. If we allow this to happen, we accept it and we sit back, kind of like in a way, and I'm not criticizing people who got, and this is where people misunderstood me during the pandemic. I never said I was against vaccination. I never said I was. No, you never did. And I never came out and said COVID was fake. But I questioned certain things about COVID, how it was handled. I questioned things about the vaccine. I questioned mask use, even though I was the first person to say, we need to wear masks to the point mm -hmm. where, guys, masks don't work. And I always believed that early on, from early on. 
if we're not allowed to come out and say those things and have a public you know discourse have a conversation about it then yeah then we're doomed forever but i think there are so many people out there you know whether as i said it's leaders broadcasters everyday people podcasters comedians yeah that are willing to sacrifice their name reputation and put it all on the line to push the envelope and say what they have to say now again if it's hate speech or it's no i'm against that if it's hateful racist no but if it's a joke an opinion i'm totally against silencing comedians and silencing people people should have the right to say what they want but as i said if there are resistors and people willing to fight back we're okay but if everybody submits like almost like we did during the pandemic where did, yeah. they must be know what they're doing they must know what they're doing this is the government oh, i'm gonna do i'm gonna do it you know that to me scares me if somebody says i did my research and i'm okay with the third booster or the first booster or i don't even know third fourth <laughs> fifth i'm okay with that but to just sit back and go well do you think they would actually harm us do you think they don't have their best our best interest in, you know in mind to me, that scares me. No, yeah, I it, don't. <laughs> I don't it, think they ever have our best interest in, at, it, at stake. It, it scares me too, Frank. It scares me too. And I've said this many times on my podcast, guys. Politicians don't give a fuck about us. Okay. No. They don't. They don't care about us. And because if they did, then they wouldn't have. Listen, I'll give them, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt for maybe the first I'll, up to a year in the pandemic. Yeah. It's new. We don't know what they're doing. But when you're throwing in curfews and you're still mandating stuff and you know um uh things are showing that they're they're not useful curfews are not are not having any impact on on the spread and the, the uh, of the virus and and masks and this and that and they still continue and they're still doubling down and they're still speaking in terms of talking about people and labeling people that don't believe in it listen here we are you and i i've been vaccinated you haven't been vaccinated Wait a minute. Or, How do you, know? you never said. You never said. That's true. <laughs> and I don't care. I've never said it. And I People don't assume, but I've never said it. And, and that's the thing, Frank. <laughs> I don't care. Be, just because I will fight. I will fight. Yeah. I will fight for anyone's right to choose what they put in their body. I, the same way I'm going to fight for anyone's right to say what they want to say as long as they're not enticing violence and they're it's not hate speech. Yeah. So you know what? I'm going to even protect a Nazi's right to say that the Holocaust never happened. It's, it's I'd disgusting. rather know, I'd rather know that the Nazi lives next door to me because he's free to express his tweets. You know what I mean? And, yeah, and, and his, his message, albeit completely wrong. I want to know where these cowards live. Yeah. These despicable people, as yeah. opposed to silencing them and not knowing where they are and what they're up to and what they might do next. That's another thing that, that, that bothers and, me. I think the whole thing that bothered me the most uh, of all this is seeing how we've turned on each other, how Horrible. we took for face value. And there's my another analogy for music, Phil Collins, huge Phil Collins. Face, face value. value, great, uh, great, <laughs> great album. That was a solo album from Phil, yeah. Phil Collins. Yeah, yeah. Another day. Oh, no, what was on that? Another day in paradise was it no in the air tonight. In the air tonight. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. Um, <laughs> you see that we we both love music as well I'm a huge uh so i missed the album but i, I do remember yeah that. 
So, you know, we take everyone's taking a face value. They're doing it for us. It must be good. We have to do it. It's for I'm doing it to protect other people. And the lack of, first of all, the turning on each other, the lack of questioning. Um, and, and I've taught my kids, guys, if you're gonna when you get older, even now, question everything. Yeah, please do that. Do critical thinking. Thank you, Sonia. That's the word I'm looking for. She's right. Critical thinking has gone out the window, and it's it has. Uh, and that's what scared me the most out of all this. Um, I, I I don't know where we're going. I think this is this has completely changed the world. Um, there's a lot of stuff I don't like that I've seen lately. Uh, lately, the last two years, uh, I'm just hoping that we get back to a better pace, Frank. I, but I do agree with you that if there are, and there are enough voices out there across all those mediums um, and areas of expertise, there is. Um, I think we could get back to a, a, a some sort of normalcy, uh, but right now it's it's pretty scary. It's pretty scary. It's and it's scary on many fronts. Not only what you just described, but also you know we're going to truly see in the next couple of weeks when they lift the mask mandates. Who's still wearing masks on April 16th, the day after? Okay, here in Quebec, yeah. and, and it's not like I'm going to judge and go loser sheep. Yeah. That's not what I'm about. But I will see that person and think, oh, well, this person is obviously scared and this person is not okay with the mass mandate being lifted and they think a certain way. You're going to automatically, that's what we do as human beings, in a way, I'm going to try not to judge, but I'm going to be like, they're wearing a mask. I don't know why they're wearing a mask, but mm -hmm. who knows? They might be immunocompromised, but it can't be every single person's immunocompromised. But my point is, the way I look at it now is something that my wife mentioned to me that a doctor that spoke in a forum, in a live forum online at her workplace said that it's like a PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. You're going to yes. see the people, these people affected long after COVID is over and we can't judge them. No. And we can't name call and we can't make them feel bad because these people are traumatized. Yes. They're stressed and they're still stressed because the person wearing the mask Outside by themselves, like I, I saw here in where I live in Brossard outside of Montreal. And then I go to the next corner. There's another person walking alone wearing a mask. Something's not right with that for me. So is the person not right? Or have they been so indoctrinated and they're so fearful that they've lost their ability, like Sonia said, to critically think about exactly what they're doing? Are they doing what they're doing because they've been told this is what to do? Or do they really believe COVID is in the air everywhere in the air tonight, like you said, <laughs> and is going to get you, the boogeyman? So that's what scares me. And I think reality sets in the day after the mass mandate is lifted here in Quebec in a couple of weeks, and we start seeing this. Yeah, That's what I'm going to be looking for, to see how many people are still living like it's March 2020. That's what I'm scared about. And like you said, going back you know, to to the world we knew before March 2020. I hope so. I think we will go back. I think as long as we as people go back to that world, you go back to that world, I go back to that world, the person that doesn't want to go back to the world, that's up to Fine. them. But I'm going back to that world. Uh, yeah. Sorry, I'm already back to that world. Yeah. It's been a year. Sorry, I've been, I've been living my life. But I can't blame the people who have been so traumatized and stressed that... It's in them. They just can't get over it. In due time, whether they have to speak to somebody professionally or whether they'll open up on their own, 
they'll move on. But no one's going to tell them. No one's going to force them. And we're going to do a disservice to these people by ridiculing them, you know, in public and not allowing them to be who they are and per dealing with the stress the way they, they're dealing with the stress. Perfectly so. said, Frank. Perfectly said. I'm so glad you said that, guys. And I'm going to repeat allow these people to to live what they need to live and handle it the way they need to handle it because i truly believe your wife was completely right uh that they're they are living a pt a ptsd uh, i've seen it uh i've seen it firsthand um so uh allow them to live through whatever they need to to get through it and seek help or whatever and you do what you do you do your life and allow other people to live their life don't judge guys because I always say, just we we have to love each other. All we have is 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 each other, guys. We lost two years of our life, two years of our life. Let's not continue. Let's not continue the hate because it, it's not going to get us anywhere. And honestly, I think there's no better way to end off this 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 podcast by my good friend, of course, Dario Vitali, fellow Genesis lover, saying, um, "Where where is it? Sorry, wrong one." This is the world we live in, land of confusion. Genesis, great Genesis song. Great video yeah. too. Yeah, great video. Uh, it, it's 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 totally right. Uh, my good buddy Robert S, owner of Cafe Bongiorno, you should check out. By the way, Frank in Saint Leonard. What's up? I've been boys? there. I've been there. Yeah, you have. Uh, yeah. What I've been back. It's two years. We have a joke. Uh, COVID never happened at Cafe Bongiorno. But let's <laughs> <laughs> at every Italian cafe in Montreal. COVID, what's that? You walk in, there's like, it's just, yeah, it's great. Some, something we didn't talk about. It's true. Sonia says, I truly feel for the children who have been severely impacted by all this. Some of my son's friends are so afraid of even saying hi to anyone. Makes me very sad. Sonia, it is. It is. I've spoken to a lot of parents and they've seen a huge change in the children's behaviors and characters. Uh, luckily, my boys are okay. Thank God. Uh, but I've spoken to a lot of my friends and a lot of other parents that their kids have I've completely changed, and you know we're we're on the same uh, same wavelength there. It's truly sad what how it's affected the kids. It's it's affected them the most. Um, Amanda says we just have to be kind. Absolutely, absolutely. Hi, Amanda in Calgary. She's in oh. Calgary, Amanda. Yeah. Oh, cool. Hi, Amanda. Yeah, she she uh, Amanda is um, uh, has been following my. Uh, she probably follows your career too, uh, Lou. But she's been following mine and extremely supportive. So awesome. her and her husband, Orazio. Uh, so seeing her name up there just made my night because she's she's absolutely sweet. Well, there you go. She's, she's just a, just a high, high. <laughs> I, could, I could see it. Thanks so much, so much, Amanda, for tuning in. Yep. Um, so I'm going to I'm going to first say, guys, thank you so much. All of the comments and questions that we've had tonight. I uh, truly appreciate it. Uh, I, I know that uh, you guys uh, turned out in big numbers tonight. Thanks to Frank. I know that. And uh, Charlie, my, no, good buddy, <laughs> <laughs> my good Charles, I don't know if you know Charles, uh, great podcast. Thanks, Charlie. Do you know Charlie Vaccaro? Sounds Charlie, familiar. Charlie, I see a lot of these names. And So you remember he used to be the guitarist of Lipstick. With Paul Galati. Yes. Of course. <laughs> Lipstick. I even think I bought that album yeah. <laughs> from that band, Lipstick. Uh, what was yeah. the album name? I need to remember the album. I don't was know. Lip, I think it was self-titled lipstick. Yeah, maybe Charlie. If you can put it in the uh, put in the in the show in the the comments, please. Yes. Thanks for tuning in, Charlie. Yes, Thanks I know for, Charles, of course. Uh Charlie Carroll, great friend, a fellow Sicilian. So our families. Are you know everybody, back. man. Everybody's well. Uh... Charlie and I, uh, we, our families go way back. We used to we used to work together at the Del Sol pastry in Saint Leonard together. 
I'll never forget those days wow. making pizzas. <laughs> uh, great podcasts, uh, Pat. Thank you so much, both of yours. Um, everyone's saying yes, Charlie. I guess Charlie says yes. It was called lipstick. So thanks, Charlie. Uh, I really appreciate you guys, honestly, so much. Frank, um, I don't know how to say thank you so much. It's been truly a pleasure. I really enjoyed chatting with you tonight. Um, we have a lot of things in common, and I've always said that tonight it even came came out even more tonight. It's crazy with the music, the Joe Rogan, and a lot of other things, the way we see things. Uh, I truly appreciate it. This is uh, this is one of, uh, one of my highlights as a podcaster so far. I really appreciate it. You inviting me on here. You're very professional, as I said, and continued success. And I want one of those shirts <laughs> so I could wear it during my podcast because I like to do that. Is that possible in large? Absolutely. It's okay. coming up. It's coming up. Uh, <laughs> EMC Design is going to do it for me. It's right next to Cafe Buongiorno. Like <laughs> I'm going to have them make one for you. Not a problem. Like you said, right next to Cafe Buongiorno, right at- where uh, you and I will get our free coffee for the free <laughs> yeah. flight, or, or just you. I'm just kidding. Robert, Robert, you heard that, eh? Free coffee <laughs> for me and Frank. All right. <laughs> I don't want free coffee. People, you know what? These businesses have gone through enough during the last two years. I will gladly pay for the co- I don't want anybody's free coffee. I appreciate but, it. Robert says, tomorrow it's on the press. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Thanks, Rob. Thanks so much, guys, for tuning in. I appreciate it so much, guys. Uh, Frank, stay on. We'll talk. We'll chat a little bit off air. Thank yeah, you so thanks. much, guys. Remember, be good to each other. Have a great evening, everyone. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to the Agree to Disagree show. Make sure you like, subscribe, and tell all your friends about it. Until next time.